This is Auto Line This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. And so welcome to the SAE Foundation Award Reception tonight at the General Motors Heritage Center, a, a wonderful collection of some of the most amazing cars that General Motors has produced over the last century with 400 people here in the audience willing to listen to this interview with us and honor Mark Royce. And please let the television audience know that you're all here. A warm round of applause so that they know. Mark, I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity here. You're going to get the award later on tonight, but here's my chance to get to talk to you. And the first thing I'd like to start out by asking you is, there's so much going on in the industry, where do you see it going? I mean, I have got to believe this is the greatest transition we've seen in the history of the industry, unless you go back maybe 110 years ago, 120 years ago. So what do you see as, and I don't want to make this too broad of a, uh, a question, top three challenges going forward? What do you see as, not just for General Motors, but for the industry as well? Well, I think, uh, you know, you look at the, the transformation that's happening, it's, it, it is a, the biggest one in 100 years, so you're right on. And if you remember some of the, the things that happened when the first automobiles were produced, we didn't have roads. And so I think one of the biggest challenges we have on electrification is going to be the infrastructure and the chargeability uh, of our vehicles. And so it's not only uh, the location of the charging, but also the speed of charging. And so how much energy can we get out of a charge station into a battery pack so that it's very close to the holy grail of about 15, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of a stop um, on a trip for a family. And that, that's really uh, very, one of the biggest things that I think uh, that we are solving and will solve as the energy density goes up and the cost goes down. So that, that's a big one. Yeah, you know, your, your comment about charging time is well taken. Somebody said uh, that I picked up on that I liked a lot. Charging time is the new range anxiety. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's exactly right because until we get um, vehicles that, you know, people can have as their primary cars that are electric vehicles that have the utility of a crossover or an SUV or a pickup truck um, or whatever they've been driving recently and get that charge time almost equal to or equal to um, what they have in a, a fuel stop and the range on top of it, then you have something that people will really want to drive because they're, they're so much fun to drive and most people have never driven an electric vehicle. So that's a huge opportunity. Okay, so charging infrastructure, the charging time, what else is on the list? Well, I would say the material supply chain of supplying the cells themselves for any automaker to make um, all the electric vehicles that we aspire to make. And so during the transformation, we can see some of the problems that we had with um, the chip shortage uh, brought on by the pandemic and the uneven production schedules and the lead time of making a silicon uh, chip. That could be even more uh, exacerbated by some of the rare earth material supply chain issues if you don't have them secure for the next five to 10 years, that's gonna be a problem. So where do you stand at General Motors right now in terms of getting those raw materials? Well, I can tell you, our, our, uh, what we call our GPSC organization, our global purchasing and supply chain organization led by Jeff Morris is uh, all over it. So we've secured nickel, we've se secured lots of different 
anode cathode mixtures and coatings. In places like Canada, we've looked at lithium under the west coast uh, beds of lakes. In the United States, we've done it all. So we've got a great team, and I tell you, um, we are all over that. We're not rookies to this either. We are legacy OEMs, and I'm proud of that. And so we've seen these supply chain issues as challenges for many, many years, and we have the best. Okay, charging, raw materials, number three on the list, would you say? Uh, number three, I think, is always a challenge, and it's a, a great challenge, and it's part of the reason why I'm in the industry, which is uh, the design of vehicles. And so when we go to an electric vehicle transformation, and we have almost a blank canvas of what we can make a vehicle and make it look like, I think there's a huge opportunity for those who seize it and have a design, uh, aesthetic design department as good as we do. And so, uh, you know, we're constructing a brand new addition to our design center on our tech center campus right down the road, which is the first time that's been done since 1953 when we dedicated with Eisenhower. So I think the whole place and the whole campus, we spent a billion and a half dollars on that campus, and I think it's attracting the great talent, and I think it's going to retain the talent. And so that challenge, um, we thought about that, you know, two or three years ago, and it really poured um, all of our energy into making a sustainable and attractive workplace for, for all of us. And so we've done that across all of our assembly plants. Here, I got to say, Gerald Johnson and the manufacturing team have really stepped up. And so the plants we go into, and I, I love going to plants, our plants that we go into are really showcases of modern technology and great workplace environments. You know, you raise a really good point about creating an environment that people really want to go to. The tech industry is after all kinds of tech workers. Now the auto industry is going after them. How do you stack up? How are you able to get people who otherwise would go to the tech industry get interested in the automotive industry? Well, I think that's a great question because um, for a while there, if you remember this, there are people actually going to Silicon Valley and trying to recruit people from Silicon Valley, which is very difficult to do. And so if you look at the the talent and the amount of time they stay in some of the tech companies, it's very different than making something that's you know, a two and a half year program out of a vehicle and then all the propulsion and all the, the really cool things that we have to do to make a car and, and, and go into production. Uh, it's a different thing. So we've said, okay, well, let's go look at where they're getting the talent. And so we go to places like Canada, Israel, and we put tech centers in the places where you know, those people want to work. And now with the change in the work environment due to what was the pandemic, hopefully going to transition to the endemic, um, you have a different work environment. And so those, those footprints we put in place are now really flourishing with people that want to work for GM. And they want to do it in a different environment, in a different place. And we're going to the places and competing with the tech companies right on their own turf. So it's really exciting. How do you get a new generation to come into this? And you know, here we are at the SAE Foundation. They do such terrific work in STEM education and the like. I got to believe this is one of the reasons why you're here tonight as well to support <laughs> this. Why I'm here tonight. You look at those two young ladies, and then you visit with um, you know the whole SAE Foundation and the continuum of everything from early schooling all the way through you know college. You know, we are very invested and in, in very interested in getting the STEM diversity that that brings. And, you know, I don't care where it is, we're in. And uh, 
getting kids the opportunity to see how things are made, why they're made that way, making a fuel cell, you know, making a balloon car, making an SAE uh, buggy and a, a you know, formula, and then an, an aero, you know, an aero model as well. So that whole thing is so important to this country and it's so important to the automotive industry because that's where it starts. And if you get people interested in that, you show them the opportunity, you get them hooked. I'll bet you've got people who came through this program working at General Motors now. Oh, we have a ton of people uh, doing that. And this has been going on for quite a long time, as you might, as you do know, because you support this uh, with everything you do, which is, thank you for yeah. that. But this is a, a big deal for us because it's Main Street on talent. It really is. And, and we couldn't do it without things like the SAE Foundation. We just couldn't. Yeah, and for the television audience, just so they know, Mark's referring to different student projects that are being displayed here. Uh, from grade school on, on up to, to college. Absolutely. It's, and it's, it's called the World in Motion. A World in a, Motion. A win. A win. That's yeah. right. So that's, that's, really the, that's the deal, right? So, yeah. So you've got a challenge on your hand as you move to electrification. Internal combustion engines are still going to be around for, for years. You're making your big profits off them, which fund the EV investments that you're making. But you know what I'm wondering is, how do you keep people excited about the future of their careers when they're working on the internal combustion stuff, when everyone's saying the future is electric? How do you keep them motivated? Well, there's two people in the audience I had this conversation with earlier tonight, and uh, one's the chief engineer in our truck programs, and one's uh, the chief engineer uh, on our uh, Lyric program. Um, they happen to be uh, twins and uh, they're extremely talented engineers that are leading those programs. And I said, you know, whatever we do, you know, I want to pull the talent base from all of it. And so I want people to be as excited as possible working on our new propulsion for our next generation of our trucks and launching our mid-cycle enhancements on our SUVs and our pickup trucks, as I want the most excited people working on our lyrics. And so those people are leading those teams. And I don't think going out and saying that, you know, our legacy business is holding us back is anything close to what General Motors is all about in terms of the DNA and the employee enthusiasm and the talent. And I think you're gonna get an opportunity to work on everything that's exciting in the industry, whether it's our ICE products, our electric vehicle products, a lot of those products are absolutely, most of those products are absolutely the most desirable products in the market. In fact, this portfolio we have, due to our people, is the most desirable product portfolio that I've ever seen in our history. It's pretty exciting, and the lyric, of course, yeah, there, there's applause from the audience on that statement. Yeah, well, there's uh, lots of colleagues, by the way, that I haven't yeah. seen in three years, which yeah. is really nice, other than a Hollywood Squares team thing, so <laughs> it's a very special emotional night for us here today, so. Mark, as you mentioned, GM is a legacy company, been around well over 100 years. What do you make of all the startups coming? Do they concern you? Do they motivate you? What's your reaction? I think um, it's really dangerous not to take anybody who's got, you know, the backing and the talent that get, you know, to come at us in the auto industry. I think it's really dangerous not to treat them as the most talented, you know, people that are going after our business in the world. And so, Everybody that comes at us, we take very seriously. We, we tear down their cars. We, 
We do everything. And we look at their business processes. In fact, today we spent about three hours looking at one of our competitors on how their business structure is and what it's going to, they're saying it's going to evolve into. And, you know, we're doing that, we're wargaming that all the time. So, yeah, all the time. So when you look at the history of technological disruption in an industry, it usually does not favor the entrenched players. It's almost always the new entrants into the field that grow up from a very low level with that technology. How do you make sure that General Motors is not one of those that gets left behind? I think it comes down to the leadership and the people that are in the company. And a lot of those companies didn't have and attract and retain the best people. And uh, I, I am, uh, I think I, I think I share the spirit and defiance that most of our employees share on that point. And I think that fire and that passion is everything. And so, if you're not doing what you're you love to do, and you won't have that passion, and you won't be as good as you know finding what you really want to do and doing it with that passion. And I think we got it. And so that's a big competitive advantage. And you know, um, that's what we have. All the way from the factory floor up through the, the DNA of the company, and I think we love it. You know, bring it, right? That's where I'm at, bring it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. We've been talking about the industry. I want to get back into the industry, but let's talk about you a little bit, too. Uh, your father, Lloyd Royce, was the president of General Motors. I, I'm just curious, when you came into the company, was that a problem? I mean, being recognized as the son of one of the big top executives, or was it a benefit for you, or did you have hurdles that you had to overcome? That's really a good question. It's really hard for me to answer because uh, I'm very close to my dad. Most of you would know I'm very close to my dad. Have been, you know, he was for a long time, um, my whole life. And so he taught me so much, um, everything from re-ringing re a Honda minibike to working on, you know, Camaros and all that. And so. We spent a lot of time together doing that stuff. When I came into the company, I interviewed with Ford. Really? I did. And uh, Just to have that separation? I don't know why I did. That? I can't answer that, <laughs> but I did it. Anyway, I did that. And I can remember him driving me around um, after I did that, and he said, you know, you know, you do what you want. But he said, you know, uh, you got a big opportunity if you want it. And he says, it's going to be harder than going to Ford because I'm here. And he was right. Um, but, you know, uh, it's a little emotional for me, actually, but. I can imagine uh, it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, I, I couldn't be happier. Um, and it was, it was emotional when, when we had the board, you know, uh, make a big change where, where he was excused. And uh, that was really hard. But I watched someone handle that with grace and class. And uh... totally agree. Uh, your dad uh, really set the bar for Thank somebody you. who went through uh, a very uh, emotional change in his career. But he never let it show. He no. got right back into the action he did. of it he all. Did with Focus Hope and SAE and everything. So that's uh, right. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. And uh, you know, I, I uh, probably have a chip on my shoulder a little bit because of that, which um, is okay. Uh, and I, I, uh, I got fired for that. 
Yeah. I, I really do. I have a lot of fire for that. Well, it must have been extremely rewarding, not just for yourself, but for the family and especially your father, to get to this position that you're in today. Thank you, it was. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was nice to have my dad here to, to see it. Um, but yes, it was very emotional. And, you know, I got to say one thing about this tonight. You know, when I walked in, Kevin Kerbitz, who, who runs um, the Heritage Center here and Factory One, not Factory Zero, but Factory One up in Flint, uh, which is, you know, the original Dort, uh, Durant Dort carriage. Uh, first, first automobiles came out of there. You know, I walked in tonight and uh, Kevin Kerbitz said, put together cars that either my dad or myself had touched in our careers, um, starting with a Holden. The only Holden in the GM collection is, is out in the lobby, and that's a car that um, I redid when I, I couldn't be with my family in Holden. And so that's here. That's the old Holden here, and that's out in the lobby. So uh, it was very touching, and the Indy, Indy 500 uh, pace car, which was a Riviera convertible, if you can believe that, with a twin tour. It was actually the most sophisticated engine in the IndyCar field that year. So there's a lot of really neat things. The 16, the Cadillacs, the, you know, it's, uh, so thank you, Kevin. I, I know you're here. So okay. it was a, a big deal. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so we had great people. Let's go back to the auto industry, but let's look out towards the future. And there's specific t technologies I'd love to get your input on. Let's start with autonomous vehicles, one of my all-time favorite topics. You know, autonomous vehicles, you know, uh, there's some great, great things here. There's also one, I'm the only non-Ford folks uh, on the Henry Ford Museum board, which, I, which is great because the Ford family, is, it's a great place. We have a cruise AV, one of the first ones in the Henry Ford because of that. And, and, and they, they, kudos to them from an industry you know, class perspective. Autonomous vehicles, you know, we, we won a lot of awards here with some of the people who went and, and actually started the, the Waymo activity. One of the cars is here, it's a DARPA Challenge car. And, uh, and so we are right on the cusp of commercialization here of cruise. And so there's a legislative piece of it with, you know, steering wheels and pedals, but, you know, we're, we're giving driverless rides right now in San Francisco and we're delivering um, groceries and things from Walmart into uh, people's homes in Phoenix and we actually delivered food during the pandemic so we are right there and I couldn't be more excited couldn't be more excited okay another technology that you guys have demonstrated an interest in passenger drones VTOLs vertical takeoff or landing vehicles you've shown a concept for maybe Cadillac getting into that take it from there Mark we did and you know the VTOL piece of this is, is outstanding and we're, we're right there with a couple of companies looking at how we do this uh, because we are not, we don't make planes. Although we made engines and tanks and all that stuff for World War II, um, we're not making planes today. But I would say we partner with the right aerospace partner with our propulsion and Ultium technology, great things can happen there. And you know, I think at the end of the day, the regulatory piece of that is really going to have to radically change. As you know, airspace is highly regulated for all the right reasons. But I think at the end of the day, that's a pretty compelling mobility case. And so we're very interested in it. We've, we've shown what it might look like for Cadillac and a very personal, high-end type experience, um, rooftop to rooftop in many cases. 
I think that's very viable. I really do. When do you think we might see something like that? <laughs> I know everybody asks you know. that. You like, can't give you're it asking all me, away. like, hey, when do you think you'll see the next electric Corvette? Um, I want to ask you about that, too. Yeah, but, well, uh, all right. Well, uh, it's, it's not as far away as you might think. I think it really has to get to a propulsion equation that's right with energy density on batteries and payload. And so if the payload piece of that and the energy density doesn't make sense, it's not going to be widespread. It'll be very limited in terms of how many people, the cargo, and the trip that you can take. And so that's what, you know, we're, we're working out that duty cycle and the willingness to pay, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So as I said, I want to talk to you about this electric Corvette. Um, I'm an enthusiast, you're an enthusiast. Part of what we grew up on was that mechanical connection with a car, the noise, the smell, the vibration. Uh, electric cars, they're whisper quiet. They're brilliantly fast. I love driving them, but there's not that connection for hardcore enthusiasts, I don't think. How do you make an electric Corvette appeal to people like me who love that mechanical feel of a car. Yeah, well, I do too. I love all that stuff, right? And, and we both own, you know, really, really um, fun, um, old or new uh, cars that give you that feedback. I think, um, I think there's a place for those cars with buyers that may, need, may not be exactly like me and you in terms of the performance piece of it. But I also think, you know, there's an electric vehicle, there's an electrified vehicle. And so we just introduced a five and a half liter flat plane crank, you know, Z06, you know, so proud of it, you know, 85, 8600 RPM thing that is just unbelievable, right? But I think, you know, it's still a uh, two-wheeled mid-engine car. And we went, as you know, to the mid-engine car because we no longer get the power to the ground with a balance on the right handling piece of the front engine C7. And so the new platform offers all kinds of possibilities and variations around, you know, pure electric, pure ice, pure whatever. And I think that's the creativity piece that um, sort of really, as an engineer and as an enthusiast, really gets me excited. So I just saw a little bit in that video. Yeah. Can you bring in noise? Can you bring in vibration? In you know, you absolutely line? can. You can. The flat plane crank engine is not a vibration-free engine at, uh, you know, that kind of RPM with that kind of power and torque. So, you know, you, you have it. We can certainly pipe in, and we have a brilliant sound engineer, uh, Jay, who um, does nothing but sound, whether it's the chime in the door for Cadillac or, you know, the Corvette piece of it. Um, or something that doesn't have the sound that we want to have more sound, or cancel the noise on Buicks and things like that. And so we can do anything we want. The question is, and I don't have the answer for it, is whether people want an artificial sound in an electric car. I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting. I wish I could answer that, because yeah. it'd be an easy solution. We know how to do it. Right. But I don't know. There's a lot of people out there in uh, in the car buying public who are not sold on electric cars. Right. Do you think they'll ever change and what will it take to change them? I think it will change and I think there's you know four or five friction points that we work on every day in GM. And I think the industry does some of those too, but it's the you know it's the convenience of charging. And by the way, it's not just hey, I'm looking at my app, I have a charge point over here. It's 
actually looking at my app, the charge point is actually maintained and working. It's in a safe place for me and I can actually do something, you know, in 15 minutes that I could, you know, if I need to go to the bathroom or use the restroom, I can do that. I can actually have, um, I could actually sit in the car if I wanted to and relax, I could do that. I could get something to eat. I could take my dog out or entertain my kids for 15 minutes. Whatever that is, that has to be a very good experience. And the charge point has to work. And it's gotten me a place, I always, you know, my kids were younger, it was like, you know, we'd like to go to Cedar Point or SeaWorld in Cleveland, right? If I can't charge along that route and get there or to Chicago or whatever, that's a problem. And, you know, I have a utility car that I can put my kids with car seats in the back of it and I can get that done, no worries. Okay, not quite there yet on that. And the range piece of it, of course, is important, but we know from our research that 300-ish is really where people say, you know, I don't have that range anxiety anymore. You know, roughly 75% of all people who have an electric car today, we know from our Bolt uh, experience, you know, they top it off at home. They're not doing those big road trips, but for mass adoption, it's gotta be not an extra car, but a primary car that has very few of those friction points or none of those friction points. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Don't you think part of it too is just getting people into the cars and oh, experiencing totally, them? Totally, totally. And, and, you know, and that's where you know, auto shows, you used to kind of used to be able to do that with some of the, the ride and drives around it. And so you know, we're trying to do a little bit of that, even if the auto shows aren't there, we're trying to get people around the country into places and dealers that have electric cars where they can take them out and use them, right? And, and really experience it because it's a beautiful experience. I'm driving a Bolt right now. It's like, you know, I don't miss going to a gas station. I gotta tell you that, I, I don't miss it. So it's, uh, and I don't worry about it. So I'm one of those 75% of the people that, that top it off at home. So, and I love it, I do. Well, good. Well, we've covered a lot of things here tonight, Mark, and you've been very open and uh, honest with everything that you've been talking about. Thank you so much, and congratulations on getting the SAE Foundation's Leadership Award for 2022. Well, thank you, John. It's, it's always a pleasure talking to you, but I got to say um, I'm honored to represent um, the efforts of the whole industry, the supply base, our company, on what SAE is doing here. And I want to thank you for your time and effort to support that over a very long period of time. And I also want to say um, thanks for everybody for coming tonight because this is a, a wonderful opportunity to actually see people in person again and actually come together as an industry and support what we know is our talent. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.